Hello, loves. Welcome to the Living Out Love podcast. I am so excited, as always. This week is actually going to be very different than most episodes. I'm going to be giving you a behind-the-scenes personal update of what is going on in my life because I think there are a lot of people that will relate to this and it's going to most likely be very helpful. So the long story short is I have some mental health diagnoses that um, seem obvious now, but I didn't see coming. And so that's, that's where this is headed. What happened was a few weeks ago, the Glennon Doyle podcast, the We Can Do Hard Things podcast, I'll link to that in the show notes, did an episode with writer Catherine May. She wrote the book Wintering and Enchantment. I haven't read either one of them, but they've both been recommended to me several times. So I was interested in the interview. But the writer Catherine May talked about how she has autism. And they discussed on the podcast why so many people don't know that they have autism. And, you know, the short answer to that is autism is about an internal process. It's how we process energy and emotion. It's not so much an external behavior thing. It manifests itself externally, obviously, but it's not an easy thing to assess. In fact, we don't have great assessments for adults on autism, um, his, historically speaking. Not that many psychiatrists do autism assessments. The ones that do, it costs thousands of dollars. Um, so many of us have autism and don't know that we have it. And I was listening to the podcast episode and she was mentioning things that she has because she has autism that I also have that I thought everyone had. <laughs> and I will say where I think we're headed with this is sort of like how we'll say, oh, I'm more right brain than left brain. I think we all just have different brains and what we have what we consider like neurotypical versus neurodivergent is very quickly becoming like everybody is neurodivergent. Everybody has their own style of brain and some of us are more like than others. I happen to have an autistic brain. I also happen to have an ADHD brain, um, but I'll, I'll come back to that. So back to Catherine May and the We Can Do Hard Things podcast. Some of the things that she mentioned about autism, I, <laughs> I have that. She said, you know, autistic people are very literal communicators and we can miss sarcasm. We can miss nuance or colloquialisms. Like when people say like, pull themselves up by their bootstraps or I've got you under my skin. Like some of those phrases don't sit well with autistic people. I do okay with phrases, but I'm never sure whether or not somebody is sarcastic. I'm always going, that was sarcasm, right? Was that sarcasm? I think that was sarcasm. Like, I'm never sure. And I am quite a literal communicator. I have a very vivid memory. I think my husband will be fine with sharing me this with, um, where he said, Hey, do you want to take out the trash? And I said, no. And he looked at me as if I had been rude and I gathered that he looked at me as if I had been rude. I was able to read that, but I didn't understand why he asked me if I wanted to, and I didn't want to. 
And so then I said, oh, are you asking me if I will? Like, do you want me to? And he said, yeah. And I was like, oh, sure. Like, I'm happy to do it for you. You just didn't ask me if I would. You asked me, do I want to? <laughs> and so I'm by nature a very literal communicator. I can take the time and effort. Like, I'm capable of in my mind going, that person's asking me if they want to. That's not what they mean. What they mean is this. And then I take a breath and I decide do I want to assume that my understanding is correct or do I want to ask my literal question of like, is this what you mean? Um, so I find with the literal communication that it's a thing for me and I hate to say it, but historically I'm a person that has just judged other people and I have thought, they are poor communicators and they are being passive aggressive. <laughs> That's how I have experienced it. Um, but perhaps I'm just a more literal communicator than other people are. And it doesn't mean that they're being passive aggressive. It, that's in their mind, they're being nice or something. I don't know what, I don't know what other people are thinking. Um, but for them, it's fine and appropriate. Even though for me, I find it at best inconvenient. And at worst, I find it passive aggressive or manipulative. Like to me, I'm like, why wouldn't you just ask me if I was willing to, or why wouldn't, to me, I think it puts like the emotional energy on the person being communicated with to have to say, sure, I will. Is that what you mean? Is that what, sure. I'm willing to, rather than saying, Hey, my hands are full, but we need to take the trash out. Can you do it? Like, I feel like if you were more forthcoming at the beginning and more literal in your communication, that's more work for you, but then the other person knows what's going on. But perhaps that's me as an autistic person thinking that. Um, another thing she talked about in the podcast was that people with autism are known as being sort of shut down emotionally. Most people in our culture think of autistic people as people that can't interact socially or as people that don't have access to their feelings. Whereas she says, actually, a lot of autistic people are highly sensitive and highly emotional, and it may cause some of us to shut down because it is so intense. Um, autism can also be a very sensory experience. Um, so can ADHD. I do have sensory sensitivities. I don't know it's if it's from autism or ADHD or both. I'm very early in this um, process, and I'm in the process of trying to find a psychiatrist that takes insurance to give me some formal diagnoses. So you are by no means talking to an expert. I'm sharing what I know so that you can be on this journey with me and see if it applies to you or not. One thing that she said about autism that blew my mind that I thought everybody experienced is she talked about when like if you're in a crowded subway and everybody's trying to get on the train and you get sort of jostled, how she can feel that touch hours later. And I was like, yeah, don't we all? Turns out, no, no, we don't. Some people don't feel that hours later. <laughs> I'm shocked by that, but apparently that it's that. Mm -mm. So yeah, in hindsight, like having a different understanding of what autism is, I'm like, oh, of course I have that. But I didn't know that that was a part of it, that very sensory thing. 
I do hours later, I will feel physical experiences that I had earlier in the day. And I think it's, it's hilarious to me that I became an emotional intelligence certified coach and emotional intelligence is, it's been a part of my career for a long time. It's been a part of my survival mechanisms for a long time. And it's probably because I had to have it in order to cope with what it's like to be me. And also it has been helpful in navigating social situations. Um, autistic people are known to like rules and like expectations because then we know how to be successful socially. And we're associated with having higher levels of, of anxiety in social situations and meeting new people. And I do have that. I mask it really well, but I do have that. Another thing that she said about autism, this is the last thing I'll mention that Catherine May said about autism that I was like, oh, I have that. She said, autistic people have a really hard time with small talk that we like to get to the heart of the matter. And we have a very, very hard time talking about things that we don't care about. And I have that. I'm ashamed to say that I have that. It makes me feel like a jerk, but it is, it's a big part of me. I have a very hard time. You can talk to my friends about it. I have a very hard time spending time in a conversation about something that I don't care about. It's effort for me. And I make the effort because I love my friends and I love people and I want them to feel heard. And I want them to know that I do care about their experience. And so therefore I care about whatever they care about, but it is actual effort and it's exhausting for me to do small talk and to and to talk about like let's say I was talking to somebody and he was telling me all about some football team and the history of the football team and then they got this coach and I can see that that person really cares about that football team and because they care I want to be there for them and listen and have the conversation but because I don't actually care about that football team it takes a lot of my energy to be present for that conversation in a way that other people don't experience. So I had heard this podcast and I was like, oh, I, I almost definitely have autism. And I reached out to a friend of mine who um, has an autistic partner and they themselves have ADHD and she's learned a lot about both diagnoses. And she sent me this online assessment that is um, highly accurate. People that test positive on the online assessment have never gone and been diagnosed and not also been diagnosed as autistic. Um, so I took the assessment and I was solidly on it. Like I was just below the average score of, of an autistic person. And that was what, like, how could that be possible? Because we think of people as being socially withdrawn, but I, I can be very social. I can be outgoing. And so it just didn't feel accurate. And so then I took, there's a quiz on this website. And again, these links will be in the show notes. There's a quiz about coping mechanisms and masking behaviors. And I was off the charts on those. And again, much like when I listened to the podcast, I was looking at all these questions and the coping mechanisms. And I thought, doesn't everybody do this? Turns out, no, they don't. Turns out, I've been asking, I've been asking around all the people, all the village members. I'm like, hey, do you do this? Do you do that? Um, not everybody does it. Nope, that's a coping mechanism. Okay. 
So prior to listening to this podcast, I was already um, starting to look for a psychiatrist to talk about ADHD. I was pretty sure I had ADHD and, you know, I don't know whether or not I'm going to be interested in medication. I don't know anything like that, but I was interested in, in getting a diagnosis just so I could learn more about it and hopefully make some behavioral changes that would help me do life better. And so it turns out that people that have autism often have ADHD and vice versa. Like it can be 50 to 70% of people with autism also have ADHD. They're both about the way that we process energy, the way we process emotion, the way we process our thoughts. Like they're both processing um, patterns in our brains. But people with ADHD often that helps mask some of the symptoms of autism. So when I've been, I've been reading a book unmasking autism and some of it resonates 100% and some of it doesn't resonate at all. And I think, oh, this would resonate for a person that has autism, but doesn't have ADHD. So for me, there's a lot of overlap between the two for other people. That's not the case. Again, I'm very early into this journey but I'm sharing because I'm all about understanding self. Like I'm like, I want to do my astrology. I want to do my Enneagram. I want to do the Myers-Briggs. Like I want to do anything I can do that's going to help me understand myself better. It's going to help me understand my motivation. It's going to help me understand like, what's my lesson? What's the assignment? So for me, having these diagnoses, whether I formally get them or not, is helpful. I have in the past been really hard on myself about needing a break, whether that was like after a long weekend with my kids, whether that's after a lot of social activity, I've been really, really hard on myself and I've deprived myself of what my body was telling me I needed because I had judgment. I thought everybody else can do this. I should just push through and that has not served me. And so I think long-term having an understanding of the way that my brain and body work is going to help me with my self-care. It's going to help me plan accordingly. I figured out last year, oh, if my family goes on vacation, I can't get straight back to work on Monday. Like I need Monday, if not Tuesday, as an adjustment day whether it's more unpacking, whether it's planning for the week or rather it's just like quiet time after all the hustle and bustle, of, you know, planes, trains and cars. I need time. I had figured that out previously, but I had really only figured out in the context of big travel, lots of people. I hadn't thought about it in terms of just work. And it's the same thing with when I'm structuring my calendar for readings versus public events, readings, I'm only ever doing things I love because it's where I'm talking about things that I care about. It's not small talk. So those are not draining for me, typically 99% of the time. Whereas if I was doing like a group workshop, that sort of a thing, I really enjoy doing it. I don't think I'm bad at it. However, it is very depleting to my energy. And so I'm going to need to plan with more intention how I'm going to fill my cup. 
and I'm early into this phase as of right now, I'm like, I don't know. Do I meditate? Do I do hypnosis? Do I take a nap? Like I'm going to have to experiment with what is it that my body needs to fill up my energy reserves. Okay. So I've talked about autism before that I was already thinking I had ADHD. Um, I'm not with autistic people, we tend to think of them as being very methodical and detailed and logical processors. I am not that. I'm very much a gut reaction person. So that's one of the ways in which a typical autism diagnosis would not fit me. Um, I'm highly, highly, highly emotive, which is common for a lot of people with autism, but is not necessarily the way we think about it culturally. But here's the third thing. <laughs> There is something known as RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria. And it is exactly what it sounds like, rejection sensitive dysphoria. So it is when people who are highly emotive, you could call it overreact to the perception that they are being rejected in some way by somebody, whether that's a close person or some random person on the street, doesn't matter. RSD is not necessarily caused by autism or ADHD from what I've read so far, but it is associated with both because RSD is essentially about how are we processing emotion. And I have to say, I definitely have that. <laughs> um, it's in my astrology chart that my wounding is definitely the thing that I have to work on in this lifetime is the opinion of others. That is part of, that's part of my assignment in this lifetime is the opinion of others is problematic for me. In my Enneagram, I'm a type two, but if you'll recall from the previous episode I did with Stephanie Foy with the integrative Enneagram, there's three subtypes. I am a self-preservation type two which means it literally feels like life and death to me if I perceive that somebody doesn't like me. Which sounds outrageous, but in my body, I go into fight or flight very easily if I have even a hint of a perception that somebody does not like me. And so I am... I've been processing all of this happened. I sort of learned all of this stuff um, on a Friday. Today's a Tuesday. So I've been hyper fixated on it all weekend, trying to figure out what things do and don't ring true. What implications do they have? And how is this knowledge going to serve me? And in a lot of ways, I don't, I don't, feel at all hindered by the idea that I would have these three things, autism, ADHD, and RSD. In a lot of ways, I'm like, oh, of course I have that. <laughs> of course I do. And a lot of, a lot of my autism symptoms, behaviors, um, traits, I'm really proud of. I like that I'm a highly emotional person. I like that I'm a very literal communicator. I like that about myself. So I'm not experiencing a sense of shame or embarrassment or anything like that. It's more a sense of, oh, like a light bulb and like an excitement of, I'm at the beginning of a journey with this. 
this could be really, really helpful for me. Or maybe it won't be that helpful. Like maybe I've already learned to cope as well as I'm going to. And this is going to be like, oh, of course I have that. I'm, I'm, it's too early into this journey for me to know. But I wanted to share that with you all because if I have autism and ADHD and RSD, there are probably a lot of people out there that have one or two or three of those things and have no idea. We have, as a society, we have painted neurodivergence and neurotypical as if neurotypical is 90 to 80, 80 to 90% of the people on the planet. And then neurodivergence is just this small sub group of people that often are dehumanized. And I think actually what's happening is as we learn more, we're learning, oh, we, we just have all sorts of people out here. It's not just, oh, I'm left-brained and I'm right-brained or I'm more emotionally sensitive, I'm less emotionally sensitive. It's like we've got some people that process this way, some people that process that way, some people that experience this way, some people that experience that way. We're all just people and we have these different brains, these different skills and traits and the way that we move about the world and the way that we have our specific human experience. What I will say to myself and to anybody listening is that if I have a diagnosis, if you have a diagnosis, it serves you way more than it hinders you. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that. I base that belief on the fact that I, I believe that we chose much about our experience before we were born. I believe I chose this body. I chose this family. I chose to come in at the date and time I chose to come in on. So I know that I chose these ways of processing life and that they do serve me in some way. And I can learn to work with them in different ways. The only one that it's, it's hilarious to me of the three things, the autism, the ADHD and the RSD, when I called my parents to talk about it and I described rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria or rejection, sensitive dysphoria, my parents, you know, both sort of chuckled and were like, you definitely have that. <laughs> and that's the one that I'm the least convinced that I have, because I think it's so much a part of my life that I can't see outside of it. And it's not that. I mean, I know that I have it, um, but it's harder for me to imagine what life would be like without it versus with the autism and the ADHD. I can sort of imagine what life would be like if I didn't have those things because I see other people behaving without those things. With RSD, it's so much a part of my experience that it's literally in my brain. I'm like, but how would that be if I didn't have it? And I struggle to come up with the answers. Whereas with the autism, the ADHD, if I ask myself, what would it be like to not have these things? I can imagine what that might be like. With RSD, I'm like, I got no clue. This is just so much part of who I am. So it's funny. It's so baked into me that I'm going, I don't have that. <laughs> and I did that with the autism thing as well. The first time I took the assessment that I took, I thought, oh, I just wanted to have autism. Like I just associated with that podcast so much that I wanted to have it. And so I probably answered stronger than is actually true. 
So a few days later, I took it again. And this time I tried to prove that I didn't have autism. And I tried to prove that I was more neurotypical. And I ended up getting a higher score. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'm solidly on the spectrum of the range of autism score. I'm almost exactly in the middle. There's no way that I'm going to be able to take the test differently and not be on the spectrum somewhere. I have autism. Cool. So I'm, again, I'm very early into this process of learning more about autism and ADHD and RSD and learning how to cope, what that means, what are the options, how is it affecting me? I will say I'm learning that a lot of psychiatrists and therapists out there do not take health insurance, which is inconvenient and does not serve the masses. And I'm very grateful that my husband and I have the means that we do have. I mean, we certainly don't feel like we're made of money, but yet if I really want to go and get an appointment, I would be able to. So my, um, you know, my bleeding heart thinks about all the people that don't have access to this, that don't know that they might be diagnosed with something. And regardless of whether or not they would ever seek treatment, it's always helpful to know the way in which you process information, the way in which your body needs to function in order to be its strongest, most resilient, most tapped in, tuned in version of itself. So that is the general update about my life. And I may or may not come back to the podcast and share more as I start down the rabbit hole. But I wanted to share that because if I have some of this stuff, it's possible that you have too. And if you don't, it's possible somebody that you know does, and it might provide you with some greater insight into how to love your loved ones. Bare minimum, I think it provides us all with a sense of there is no such thing as neurotypical. We all process differently. So thank you for being with me and listening to this long-winded update without a point, except to say that I, I think I love myself more knowing about these things. I already knew that I had those symptoms. I already knew a little bit that I was a literal communicator. I knew that I was sensitive. I knew that I felt things hours later, but seeing it written out and seeing that like, yes, this is the way some people process information helps me honor that part of my experience even more. And it helps me to have compassion for myself and for my previous self that didn't know that that's the way things were happening. And whether it's through taking an online assessment, whether it's through hooking up with an astrologer, an Enneagram practitioner, whether it's through taking a silly online quiz about like which Disney princess you might be, I hope that you all can find ways to know yourself better. And I hope that in knowing yourself better, you feel more expansive and more compassion. So that's, I know that's my experience. So Next week, I'm going to have Stephanie Foy, aka Mom, back on the podcast, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into my experience of this whole process of finding the diagnoses and of um, where I'm at now. So tune in. It should be interesting. Have a great day, loves. 